Hello and welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims, and we have a great one for you here today. Uh, certainly a fan favorite wherever he's been, especially with Milwaukee. He's former Admiral and longtime NHL player Jordan Tutu. Jordan, it's great to see you. Great to talk to you. How are things? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, to going down memory lane here with you guys and uh, share some of my experiences that I had in Milwaukee with uh, with the fans. Before we do, I want to look back to your retirement announcement a little over a year ago, if I'm not mistaken. And it's you started off with after 220 games in Brandon and 723 in the NHL. I love that you put Brandon in there. It's it's kind of re- reminiscent of the Monday night football when they say what college they're from or a few guys throw in what high school. I thought that was great. I thought that was great. And that's a, a, obviously Brandon meant the world to you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, playing in Brandon and having uh, Mr. Kelly McCrimmon, who now is the general manager of the Vegas Golden Knights, um, you, you know, drafted me and, and that, that's where, you know, really my, my hockey career started off. And, uh, you know, Kelly McCrimmon cared about Jordan Tutu, the person, not the hockey player. And, uh, you know, my, my time in Brandon was, uh, you know, something special uh, for a kid coming from Nunavut um, and, and walking into that dressing rooms with, uh, with welcome arms really made me feel uh, a part of a part of the Wee King family right away. Uh, you know, being of indigenous descent uh, and, and having to face a lot of racism growing up as a kid, I often, you know, wondered to myself, do, do I really fit into society? But, you know, Brandon was uh, the starting point of my hockey career and, and it came full circle when I, when I called Kelly to ask him if I was able to announce my retirement uh, in Brandon, uh, it was a no-brainer for for him and and for me and my family. Um, it can't, it just came full circle for me. How did they find you, and how did you get on the radar to be picked up in the Western Hockey League? So I, I played in a couple Indigenous uh, hockey tournaments in Alberta and in just outside of Edmonton, Alberta. And, uh, yeah, I got scouted there. And, uh, was that the first time that you, was that the first time maybe you realized you could do something more and, and get out of town, so to speak and play? Well, that, that was my out right to get out of the situation that I was in, in, in my home life. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know where it was going to take me, but it was an opportunity for me to, to play the game that I love and, and to show my talent, I guess. But, I, you know, to be honest, I didn't expect to be getting a phone call by the Brandon Weekings. I didn't know what the Brandon Weekings were. I didn't know what the Western Hockey League was at that time. And uh, that was when I was 14 years old. And that following year, I went to training camp as a 15-year-old. And uh, uh, that, that year, I uh, played with my brother, uh, Terrence, my late brother, Terrence, in, in the Paw, Manitoba, played junior A. And, uh, and then at 16, uh, up until I was 19, I played in Brandon. And that's where, you know, my, 
my hockey career really kicked off and and I started to realize like hey I might have a chance to play in the National Hockey League one day or or become a, a professional hockey player let Just alone paid, you know? yeah make a living yeah how, how what I got I've got to believe that having your brother there that first year when you're when you leave home and for you leaving home geez we talk about this with so many guys how was it to leave home at 15 or 16 and they might be leave, moving 100 miles 200 miles 300 miles you were moving like not just you can't even you can't even measure it in miles almost like literally a world apart like right, you said you, like you, you said had no us. goal you had no goal of the like every every kid in canada knows the western hockey league or the quebec or whatever and you you had no idea i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt charlie no but i i've just got to say I, I was just wondering like how do you process that as a 15 year old boy like could you have done that without your brother there to be honest charlie no no my brother was uh, a huge influence on on my life as a young teenager and and you know having the opportunity to to live with him while we were playing juniors my my first year uh, of really being away from home you know because it was a culture shock uh going from knowing everybody in my hometown to a city where you know sometimes you don't even know who your neighbors are right um, but having my brother there on a day-to-day -day basis and him pushing me uh, to be the best that I can was, I, I mean, you, you can't, I, I can't even find the words to describe what he did at that point in my life uh, for me as a person and as a, as a hockey player. And, uh, you know, the time that we spent, I mean, it was every day. Uh, you know, he, he drove me to school. He picked me up from school. He took me to hockey, our, our, our practices. And uh, he was like my father figure. I can't imagine what it must have been like when you get the thrill of, it was about the same time you lost your brother and then you probably found out you were going to be on the Canadian team for the World Juniors, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was probably almost exactly the same time. Yes, it was. So my brother uh took his own life uh at the end of august which you know training camps are right around the corner and and i knew that my brother wanted me to to live out our dream of uh of trying to trying to play in the nhl and because he was uh, the first he was the first native canadian to ever play professional to hockey. get paid to play hockey yeah yeah yes yeah, so my brother played in in roanoke virginia uh, for the Roanoke Express in the East Coast Hockey League. And, uh, you know, he he has basically paved the way for for us Inuit from the far north. And, you know, the the amount of time and, and the pressure that was, you know, put on him as far as being a role model for, for our people, I couldn't imagine. And, and, but he, he always carried himself uh, with, you know, being humbled and, and, you know, just really not taking things for granted. Um, you know, he played one year of professional hockey and, you know, he, he made a, a name for himself. Uh, and so I, I knew uh, when I found out my brother had taken his life, uh, it was about a week later um training camp started in brandon and i i, I need to get on the ice 
And, and about a week and a half later, I was down in Nashville for, for training camp as a 19 year old. And, um, hockey was my out, uh, you know, not a lot of people who, who, who lose loved ones have have that opportunity. I'm forever grateful for the sport of hockey. It's one thing having kind of gone through, well, I went through the same thing that you did uh, pretty much. Um, it's one thing that you want the escape, but it's another thing with how people react to you, isn't it? I mean, it's people know what happened, obviously, but they don't know how to deal with it. And you don't know how to deal with them. That's, that's how I remember going for me. Like, I, totally. do I, do totally. I joke? Do I just, it, it's just so strange. Yes. And, you know, that's why for me, the hockey community, um, I mean, if I didn't have that, God, I, I have no idea where I would have been at, at that point in my life. Right. Uh, you know, the Nashville Predators going, going above and beyond, uh, you know, looking after me both, uh, you know, mentally and, and physically making sure that I was, uh, well taken care of away from the arena. Um, but yeah, that being said, you know, people are going to often wonder, wow, like you just lost a loved one and now you're, you're going to play hockey. How can you, how can you right. deal with it? Well, how do you like react? you said, yeah everyone has their own way of dealing with uh with the loss of a loved one and for me it was it was hockey right my hockey was my escape to you know stop answering all the questions that were constantly coming at me about yeah. you know what happened or or what ifs or or whatnot so the why yeah the, the questions that you can't and you probably don't want to know exactly yeah so Hockey was my escape, bottom line. That time then, when did you find out you were on the World Junior Club? Well, that, that so I, I went to training camp in Nashville, and I, I played a couple exhibition games. Uh, I missed the first, about the first 10 games of the Western Hockey League season. And then I got sent back to Brandon, uh, which was mid-October, I believe, end of October. And my my game just took off. Uh, a month later, I was leading the the Western Hockey League in scoring in penalty minutes, and I get a phone call in December from from Hockey Canada saying, "Hey, we'd like to invite you to uh, to training camp. Uh, you know, you're kind of one of our last invites." And I said, "Wow, yeah. I mean, it was." An opportunity for me to prove uh, to my doubters once again that hey, I, I I'm a hockey player that can play the game too, right? And I'm not just a, a scrapper or what you know the so-called goon or, or whatever. And uh, yeah, just took training camp uh, or the tryouts one day at a time, and that was uh, middle of a, of December. And I, I remember sitting in my hotel room uh, because when when players are being cut it's it's first thing in the morning at like 6 a.m and I remember waking up and that hotel phone rang and and I looked over at my roommate who uh who was Derek Roy who played uh yeah. a lot of years in, in Buffalo yeah 
uh, I looked over at him and I remember saying, Roisy, you answer the phone because, <laughs> you know, I was so terrified. And he's like, no. So I answered the phone and coach Mark Habscheid um, congratulated me. And uh, I mean, every kid from Canada or, you know, would, would want to represent their country. And, and the world juniors is, is the highest stage for, for any Canadian junior hockey player. So to be able to, to say I made the team was, I mean, it was history, right? I was the first Inuk to, to ever play for team Canada and, and it was in our home country in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So uh, I mean, probably the the biggest highlight of my my hockey career was representing Team Canada. Hmm. Wow. Uh, the next year, you, you're done with juniors. The next year, you go to the to training camp in Nashville. Now you're a pro, right? And you make the team. You make the Predators as a first year guy. Uh, did how that must have been? I mean, you say that was the uh, making representing Team Canada was a highlight of your NHL career our hockey career, but I got to believe that making the predators right out of, as being a, a 20 year old, that's got to rank right up there as well. Yeah. Oh, I mean, your ultimate dream is to play in the national hockey league as a, as a young junior hockey player. And I remember I, I chose to move to Nashville at the beginning of August so I can get the right training that I needed to give myself the best chance to, to make the team. And I remember, uh, you know, waking up every morning at 6 a.m. to hit the track. And, and for one month straight, I think I put on about 15 pounds of muscle and uh, went into training camp. I crushed uh, all the testing and, and all that and uh, get, a, get a call from uh, – Mr. David Poyle and, and Trotsy, Barry Trotz, into their office uh, when they were starting to make cuts. And, you know, I was pretty much crapping my pants walking <laughs> into his office uh, because, you know, you, you're assuming that's the call to... Uh, you're done. You're, sent, going yeah, to you're, you're going to... You're, yeah, you're going... You're cut from the team or whatever. But, you know, I walked in there and uh, they had the biggest smiles on their face and said, you, you've made the open night roster and congratulations and uh, I mean I, I had some tears of joy and yeah I, I just I couldn't put I, I couldn't talk for probably the rest of the day you know I was <laughs> trying to call all my buddies but I was just you know sitting in my hotel room looking at the ceiling and I'm like holy shit like I've actually made it I'm gonna I've made it into the NHL I mean, it's it's one thing to make it; it's another thing to to stay in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. It's Which the Ric Flair line. It's the Ric Flair line to be, uh, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man, and all, all of that stuff, right? I mean, now now you got to stay the man, and that's that's probably harder than making it. Oh, it's. I mean, to continually work on your game and and to do all the little things, right? That you know, your average sports fan don't see the, the individual doing to, to make that team, the sacrifices, the, the commitment, uh, you know, having to have the courage to change and determination to, uh, to grind it out and, and to basically accept the role that is given to you. Right. Like I, 
I played in the NHL for 13 years and I, I, whatever role was put in front of me, I made sure I, I did my best uh, to, to get the job done, whether that was to be a second line player, a third line player, a fourth line player, you know, you have to adjust in order to, to stay. You, you look at a lot of young kids coming into their professional career out of juniors and they expect to be given the same opportunity or play the same game that they played in juniors. Right. And it's, it's, it's a totally different, it's a totally different animal when you starting to play amongst men. And so, Hey, you got to, you know, some of these young kids don't understand that you, you got to adjust your game, you know, in order for you to, to stay, you know, if you're, if you are a goal scorer in, in, in juniors or in college, and now you have an opportunity uh, to play a fourth line role. Well, Hey, you got to better do it. You got, you got to do it. Right. Oh. Um, because ultimately it's like we're a bunch of cows being herded around. They're, they're, <laughs> you're replaceable, right? There, there's thousands of other guys that want to be in your spot. Yeah. Did you feel when you made the team or maybe you were too young and, and immature and naive, so to speak, did you feel the weight of your heritage when you get the call that, that, uh, that you made the NHL? No. Or was it a very no, personal to, thing more than anything? Yeah. To, for me, it was more of a personal um, uh, goal. Yeah. Uh, as far as, you know, everything that my, my brother had taught me and to, you know, the note that he left me, the first line said, George, go all the way. And I knew what that meant. And that was to, to make it into the NHL for, for the both of us. Uh, at that time, I, I would say probably the first two or three years of my professional career, I didn't um, really realize the amount of uh, pressure or weight on my shoulders as far as being a role model for, for not only the Indigenous community, but for our people up in Nunavut, right? I the game kept me so busy on a day-to-day -day sure. basis. And, and, and you guys understand, you know, being on the road, traveling, practice, you know, time, time goes by. So to, for me to really sit down and absorb everything, it wasn't probably until I, to be honest, sobered up and, and realized, um, wow, you know, <laughs> I got big shoes to fill here, but I accepted that role. And, uh, you know, in my recovery, I, I knew that being more honest and being true to myself was the only way that I could help the next generation uh, reach their goals. Sure. You, you were an energy player, especially at the beginning of your career. Uh, how difficult was it for your first NHL game to, to, to harness that energy, to not be just like freaking out. Like, <laughs> like you're out there, Running you're, everywhere. You're, here's my dream. What, what am I supposed to focus on your job? How difficult was that for you? Oh, I mean, for any, for anybody, of course, any young professional athlete, you know, when they go into their first game, you, you know, a lot of the veteran guys are, so humbled and and you know they have an experience of i i remember 
a guy like Tony Herkus, you know, when I was in Milwaukee, he's like, Toots, it, it's just a hockey game. You played this game your whole life, you know, it's just another hockey game that, you know, don't let the pressure get to your head. Uh, you know, Brad Tiley, you know, uh, wily old veteran D man. Sure. You know, I think it was honestly my time in Milwaukee was where, you know, you, you, I became a lot more grounded as a, as a young professional hockey player. Was it good for you after you, you make it through the first year, and I shouldn't say good for you, you make it through your 0304, you're a full-time NHL, or 0405 comes around, and it's a lockout. And so you don't have a choice but to be in Milwaukee. Was that better for you to say, okay, I know, yeah, I'm not in the NHL right now, but there's nothing I can do about it, so let's just play? Yeah, I think it was like that for, for everyone who was involved, right? Right. Like, uh, but to be honest, I, you know, after my first full year in Nashville as a 20 year old, I would have loved it if they sent me down to Milwaukee because I would have won a championship. Right. <laughs> That's true. very true. That's a good point. I would That's have a won a point. championship with the guys and, and you would have I didn't beaten quite, I didn't quite understand at the time what the, the, you know, the logistics of, you know, all that getting sent down or whatever. So, you know, it didn't really cross my mind until years later where I was like, huh, why didn't the Predators send me down to go on the run? But, hey, the lockout year was, uh, was very important to, to me as a hockey player, right? You know, being in Milwaukee and, and playing a lot more minutes um, and, and having a group of guys that were just unbelievable, right? Like, we all came together and said, hey, look, we're here let's make the best of it. And, and I think that year we went on to, to the finals and we lost to Hershey, I believe. That was 05-06. That, that, that was the next year. That was the next year. Oh, okay. The 0405 year is when we lost in game seven to Cincinnati. Uh, to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. Yes, I remember the slap shot from the blue line. From the blue line, he was just Brian, going to change. And, yeah. Brian Finley uh, couldn't see the puck all that well. Yeah, that was a – I contend that was – that team was maybe better than our championship team from just a straight talent perspective. We added you that year. We added Dan Hamhuis that year. Suter. And Ryan so, Suter. Oh, Ryan, uh, Ryan Suter. Uh, Scotty Upshaw. Uppy played more that year. Yeah. Uh, so, like, that was, a, that was a really good team and coached by a really good coach, too. Claude Noel, yeah. I'm sure yes. he had a big impact on your career. Oh, totally. Uh, Claude was – uh very instrumental in my professional hockey career uh you know the guy although he was very hard on me uh you know i learned to to take it as constructive criticism and, and to know that you know when when a coach is on your case constantly that means they want you you to be at your best and they're you know they doing whatever to. they expect you and they know your yeah. potential Right. How was he? Uh, how was he hard on you? Darren Hadar says the same thing, and Darren it came to a head with Darren, and and things were figured out. And next thing you know, they win the Calder Cup. But how how was he hard on you? Well, you know, I, I had a lot of meetings uh, with Claude about <laughs> you know my my off ice antics, and 
you know, there were, there were, it, it was no BS, right? You know, what he said uh, went. And I remember, you know, being sat out a number of games, uh, being, you know, basically suspended from the team. And, you know, I knew I, in order for me to prolong my hockey career, I, I got to really look myself in the mirror and say, hey, like, it's time to change, Toots, you know, and, uh, and Claude, hey, yeah, he, he ripped me uh, a new, new one every, every other week. But I use that as fuel, right, to, to motivate me and to, to put me on the right track. When you, you, you referred to, and it's in your book, and, and you've been very open about uh, your sobriety, but I'm, did you, how, how well did you hide it, or did you even try to hide it before you, did, you went and got sober? Well, I, I think towards the end, I, you know, started isolating myself uh, as far as, you know. But when you're a young guy, say, oh, the, oh, oh, three, oh, four, oh, four, oh, five, it was just yeah. anything goes. It's just. You're young. You're having fun. Being young. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was young, 20, 21, 22, to me, I didn't feel the pressure being a, being a professional athlete and, and what it takes, right? I, I was a cocky young kid who, you know, was selfish. Um, and, and, you know, back then you, you got to realize that social media wasn't, uh, wasn't what it wasn't, is now. Yeah. It wasn't popular. So I was able to, you know, when I was out in public, uh, to, to tie one on, right. Without having to worry about, uh, you know, the social media coming, coming back to haunt me. But that being said, uh, there were a number of, uh, times where my hockey career was, uh, was at stake. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that I knew deep down inside that, you know, if I wanted to continue my career, I had to change, but I was, I was, you know, right on the cusp of just, you know, that fine line of, of you know, partying and, and going to work and doing my job. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that lockout year, 04, 05, uh, to be honest, uh, was probably the most fun that I ever had in my, in my hockey career because sure. we all knew there's no NHL. So, hey, let's – Let's, let's go. Let's make it's it a, fun, a big yeah. party and have yeah. fun and, and, and win hockey games. And, and, and that was a very, that was a pretty young team too, right? Like there were veterans, like you mentioned, there was Brad Tiley, there was Wyatt Smith, Herc, there yeah. was Herc, uh, but there was a lot of young guys like yourself, like Scotty, Darren Hadar is still a young guy. Andrew Hutchison is a young guy. So like we, we've talked to a number of these guys and it's like, it was just like college. You go to the Blatts and everyone lived at the Blatts and it was just like, Hey, what are we doing tonight? Let's go play yeah. hockey and then we're going to go have fun. Yeah. You, you know what? That's, I mean, it wasn't one or two guys that were going out. It was, you know, Everybody. 15, 15, 20 guys that we, we rolled together. But that being said, when, when we showed up to the rink, it was the veteran guys, the, the older guys who, you know, basically would have, you know, closed doors team meetings and really, you know, put us in our spot. But, you know, ultimately it was the veteran guys that really said, hey, if, if we want to do something special, guys, 
you know, I don't care what you guys do off the ice, but when you come to the rink and when it's game time, uh, you better be on or, or things are going to change. And, and I think that's when really everyone bought in and was like, well, if, if we're going to do this, we're going to do everything together. I'm curious, and I don't, I don't mean to jump too far ahead, Charlie, but 0506 is when I came in uh, after Kyle Schultz passed away. And I know he meant a lot to a lot of you guys, Kyle Schultz. Can you, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be mistaken in this, but did you play a part in his funeral or were you at his, you were at his funeral, I know, but I'm, I'm just curious what, what Kyle, what, what kind of memories you have of Kyle? Oh, uh, you know what, guys, to be honest, I, I don't have a lot of, uh, memories you know the first five years of my pro career um but you know kyle was a a gentleman who you know we as players relied on a lot right like he he was a tremendous guy to to talk to uh you know you can talk to him about anything in life um you know as far as you know what he did for the organization you know there was there's nobody that could ever ever replace a a human being like that right like he he was special to to every guy in that dressing room i i remember i have uh this actually is a kyle shorts schultz sort of memory but you were in you were hurt it was the last game of yep. the year, if I'm not mistaken, yep. in San Antonio. You're the color guy, and Seamus Kotick scores a goal. That's what. That's a Jordan Tutu memory that I have, even though <laughs> it was Seamus's goal, and you're in there, and like both you and Kyle, like you can't even. It's just like chaos. It's like, well, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> oh, I definitely that, remember that calling that and, and watching that puck go in and uh, you know both of us just started just laughing screaming, right like <laughs> screaming and yelling and and laughing and you you, you yeah. called it the ron the ron hextall special that's what you called it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's memories like those that you know when, when we have conversations like we do today uh you know brings me back down memory lane and uh you know i'm grateful for for those little little stories, right? Because it puts a smile on my face. That that oh five oh six season, like I said, it was my first year, and you were back and forth quite a bit between Nashville and Milwaukee, about fifty yeah. fifty. I remember uh, there are two things. One, you grabbed me on the bus and said, "I know what you've been saying about me. You better not get off." And I had I was scared to death, and you were just messing with me. It was, it was all it was, but I was scared to death, and I'm like, "Toots, I didn't say, what? What did I do?" Uh, but the other thing is somebody told me that the card games in back, you would not lose because while other guys are playing with their per diem, you had, this is what I was told. You brought thousands of dollars with, and you would never, you could wait everybody out because you could always buy back in. Uh, well, here, here's the thing, right? That because it was uh, the prior to the loco year right like if, if you played 70 games or more you got stipend pay right so i had a i had a, a few extra dollars uh i would carry in my pocket for those long bus trips and uh yeah i mean honestly i probably made the guys more money playing cards than uh than they did playing playing hockey, playing hockey. so hey I, I, as long as as long as I knew where my money was going, I was all good with it. <laughs> like, 
some of those guys, like uh, the guys that are on that team, you end up playing many years with in Nashville. Yeah. But like the guy that we always think of when we think of Jordan Tutu, we think of Scotty Upshaw. Yeah. Talk about how uh, your guys' relationship and started. You're similar. I, say, I mean, that dates back to the juniors, right? Yeah. Before juniors, me and Scotty met when we were think 13 years old yeah we that that tournament I went to in Edmonton uh Scotty was on the same team and he kind of took me under his wing right like uh, as a young 13 year old kid coming in from Nunavut uh here's this you know young blonde curly haired dude who uh you know kind of paid a little more attention uh to me as a teammate and our relationship started back then and that was probably in 96 97 wow uh and then yeah as the years went on next thing you know we're playing playing juniors against each other and then the draft comes around and lo and behold we both get drafted to uh to nashville and uh yeah we we live together in milwaukee uh you know we're we're still in contact on a day-to-day basis uh in retirement now but scotty's always been a a huge uh part of my my hockey career um i mean the guy basically looked after me the first five years of my professional career so kudos to him for uh (laughs) being able to handle this uh this maniac (laughs) right but obviously you guys had a great time together you know just like part of that team go out have fun come to the rink and like be really good players win. Yeah. Scotty was a guy who, who I respected right off the ice and he respected me. And uh, you know, whenever things were seemed to be getting out of hand, Uppy would always kind of pull me aside and say, Hey, it's like time to calm down. And, and I knew, you know, no questions asked, right? Like uh, I knew, you know, it was time for me to settle down and that's, uh, one thing about Scotty, where he always, uh, you know, made time for for his teammates. Uh, I mean, probably one of the greatest teammates to a lot of guys that he yeah. played with. And uh, now, both of us being retired and uh, and reminiscing about our stories. I mean, they 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 never get old, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you talk about a guy. You talk earlier about junior players and young players trying to figure out a niche a niche and, and figure out a role. And if you scored 50 in juniors, doesn't necessarily, you talk about a guy, Scotty Upshaw, who had world-class speed and shot and everything, but he stuck around on a bunch of one-year deals at the end because he was willing to play those gritty, grindy type of minutes. Absolutely. And that's the kind of character uh, that creates, you know, a great atmosphere in the dressing room. You know, right. a lot of, a lot of teams, every team needs character guys, you know, they may not be the best hockey player, but you know, your, your fans don't, you know, know what goes on in the dressing room. And, and it's guys like Oppie who, who are the glue to, to a lot of dressing rooms. Right. And, and Oppie, you know, was probably one of the best at, uh, you know, being a role player, uh, you know, he played what 15 years in, in professional hockey and 
you know, going through injuries and, uh, and whatnot. Right. But he was always a positive guy in the dressing room and, uh, his demeanor, his caringness for, for everyone, you know, went a long ways and guys notice it. I, yeah. I was always impressed by Scotty and I don't want to, you know, we don't need to pump his tires too much. Right. But, uh, <laughs> uh, he's a, he's a first round draft pick. He's going to be, he's, he's, you can see that he's got NHL talent, but he's down in Milwaukee and like he's sticking up for teammates, right? He's not, let, he's not letting guys, he didn't probably fight very much, but he's not letting guys get away with things. He's tough out there. And I, I'm to your point, that goes a long way in the locker room, doesn't it? Oh, totally. And, and I, you know, I don't want to, you know, toot my own horn here, but I think, you know, the, the style that I played, and and you know the mental toughness kind of wear wore off on on onto scotty right you know sure. we all knew scotty was a, a skilled uh, you know top six forward and uh when when uppy would play with me he knew he had to you know he uh, have my back and right. and it's those little things that you build uh, up as a professional athlete right like I, I've always used the, the term mind over matter, right? Because it ultimately uh, your thought process, uh, you know, when, when you tell yourself or give yourself a chance, you, you know, anything, anything could happen. Right. Uh, and, and that's where mental toughness comes in uh, guys throughout the league. Oh man, toots, you're only five foot eight. Like how do you fight guys that are six foot five, six, six, said, well, I, you know, I tell myself I'm going to win this fight or I'm going to win this battle in the corner. You give yourself a chance right off the bat, right? Sure. And, and that, you know, how you build character and, and Uppy was, yeah, I mean, the guy was a, a pest to play against, but he knew never to cross that line with me, right? He, <laughs> <laughs> even though we were, we were best friends, I would always tell Uppy, you cross that line, I'm going to rip your head off, and I don't care. <laughs> well, that, you two – I'm sorry, go ahead, Charlie. Oh, I was just going to say, that brings up an interesting point, is that you, you got into a fair amount of fights in your hockey career, obviously, uh, and inevitably you fought a friend, uh, a guy that you played, against, you played with, and then you played against him. And, like, how – it's always an interesting thing to me – because guys fight and then they get off the ice and then, Hey, let's go have a beer. You separate the job and you the relationship. Yeah. Like, uh, that, that's gotta be sort of strange, right? Well, I think in the, in the hockey world, we all know that, you know, you, you have a role to play, right. And every player is uh, put on, on a team for a reason. And Hey, like you, you may be buddies, but, you know, things get heated out there, right? There's a lot yeah. of emotions, a lot of ups and downs. And uh, ultimately, uh, I, I mean, I, I play, I have a lot of buddies that I played against. And it's it's just that respect level sure. amongst each other, right? And, you know, obviously, like I said, emo you know, some, some games, emotions run high and, you you know, God, you, you go, you walk into the dressing room, you, you don't know what the hell just happened. Uh, but you know, you go have a beer or you go for supper with, with your buddies from the opposing team. And Hey, it's, it's just, it's honestly, it's just like a job, right? That's your right. job. Right. Yeah. So, um, you gotta be able to separate your job from your life. 
exactly and 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 not only that is you know separating your i I mean because being a professional athlete it it ain't easy right yeah living you know going out in the public and 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 knowing that when you step into your your home that you don't bring you know whatever is going on in your professional career to home and i i learned that um you know, into, into my recovery and, and, you know, being married and, and ha- now having kids, right. You, you go to work, whatever happens there, you leave that at work. And obviously, you know, being communicative with your significant other and, and having a good support system. Goes, obviously goes a long way. Yeah. That 0506 run and it, what Charlie and I have talked about so often is the investment that everybody had to make it to the finals against Hershey that year. I mean, it would have been pretty easy. Like we said, you were back and forth, uh, Scotty back and forth. Shea uh, Weber. At the end of the season, Shea Weber is up and not coming Vern, back. Uh, Vern Fiddler. Uh, Vern and Fiddler. Yep. Uh, there, there were so uh, many guys. Jared Smithson. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, Fids and Smithson never came back for the playoffs though. And you guys did. And the game seven, Iowa, Iowa in the first round, you came back and Claude wanted that to be the biggest secret in the world. Uh, because, because he did, he just knew that you were going to be a game changer. He didn't want Iowa knowing. Yep. The Admirals were on their third string goaltender in the game, a guy by the name of Jake Moreland. And you came in, uh, I'm going to ask your memories, but I'm going to tell you real quick that you scored the first goal of the game with about two minutes left in the first, but I think it was your first shift. You blew somebody up, just blew somebody up. From then on, it was like, okay, this game is over. No matter who's in goal for the Admirals, this game is over. I remember the crowd, even though it was small, just erupting when they saw you come out for warm-ups. Charlie, I'm sorry, Charlie, throw something in if you want. But I'm just curious what you remembered. Of and it. if I, the, the lore is, is that Barry or David, in, you're up in Nashville in the first round. I think they're playing San Jose. They say, Jordan, you're not going to play tonight. Do you want to go tomorrow? Do you want to go down and play in Milwaukee? They're playing a game seven. And you said, yeah, I'm, I'm in, right? Is that, is, story, that what, yeah. is, that, is that the story? Is that how it, it went yeah. down? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, because I – yeah, I remember uh, uh, Poyle calling me into the office and I was just kind of like, oh, wow, like this is interesting because I played a, a few playoff games already and I was like, well, game seven, you know, biggest game of, you know, any playoff series, you know, right. and I was like, well, heck yeah, like send me down. I, I want to go do on it. a run. Yeah, and uh I remember uh, Claude calling me and, and kind of saying, oh, you know, thank you for agreeing, you know, kind of. But he's like, we're going to keep this on the lowdown and, and whatnot. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, what's the big deal, right? Like, I, you know, at that <laughs> right, point you're a hockey, career. I'm a hockey player. Yeah, I was just like, oh, what, why is it a big secret? You know, I didn't, I didn't understand. It's just game seven. Let's get, let's get her done. Yep. And, and you, you did. and you did and then you go and then so you came down for game seven Weber comes down Renee comes down Upshaw comes down and then you you so the first uh, what we would call the first line it was all it was 
Gamash, Hadar, Simon, yeah. Gamash, uh, Hadar, and Klassen. And then the second line is just unbelievable from like a what they go on to line. It's you, Scotty, and Rich Peverly. Like that's a combined seven, almost a 2,000 games, over 2,000 games in the NHL playing on a line together for the Milwaukee Admirals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was – and you were about awesome, a goal right? a game like, player. You were about a goal a game player in that playoff series, in that playoff run, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I know I can score goals, guys. I didn't spend most of my time <laughs> in the penalty box, right? But if I had to. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was uh, that that playoff run was awesome, right? Like, because we had, I remember it well playing Iowa. And get, I think uh, what was the old coach's name in, in Milwaukee? Dave Allison. Dave, Dave Allison, Allison in Iowa. Yeah. yeah, the guy I think looked like he was going to have a heart attack a few times. His face was beat so red, red. <laughs> and yelling his his face off. And well, there, I I look gonna, over at uh, go ahead. Claude and he'd just be smirking away, right? And he'd like <laughs> give me the nod. Yeah, Toots, go do your thing. <laughs> so that I don't know if you know this or not. You probably do. There's a history between Claude and Dave Allison. They both got fired from Milwaukee at the same time, and there was. It didn't Claude end well. Claude was the assistant. Yeah. Claude was the assistant. Dave was the head coach. They got fired, and Claude comes back two years later. So there was – obviously, you always want to win a game seven, but you, he, Claude really wanted to win game seven against yeah. Dave Allison. Yeah. No, it was, it was awesome. Uh, and then we go on the next round, uh, I think, is the quintessential Jordan 2-2 goal from your time in Milwaukee. Uh, we're playing Houston, and, and it's like a – I think the final score was six to five or something like that. They had scored with to tie it at five with about, I don't know, I don't I, two minutes to go, a minute to go. And then you scored with maybe 15 seconds left yeah. in the game and just do like, just do a Superman into the bench. Oh, and yes. that, that was like, uh, it was a quintessential Jordan two, two goal. And it was maybe one of my favorite Aaron Sims calls. Uh, do you remember yeah. that play at all? I sure. Yeah, I sure do. I remember, uh, Oh, God, I, I'm just faintly remembering here. I think I was going down on the left side and, and kind of tossed – or no, I was going down the middle. Scotty was on the left wing. Uh, and who, who was Pe my – Pe And Peverly. Pever Peverly, yeah, passed it over to me back door. Yes, ex exactly, exactly back door. And then you scored and just went flying and – I don't know if that was game one or game two, Aaron, but uh, we won, swept Houston, then yeah. swept Grand Rapids. Grand and, Rapids. And, and Peverly has said, like, that was the most fun I've ever had playing hockey, both on the ice and off the ice. Like, yeah, it, it was just a blast. Like, to, to, to our point earlier, it was, you know, every, everyone was young, close, and just having fun. Yeah. And, and, and Rich Peverly was my roommate on the road. So, you know, Rich just got called up from the coast, I believe. And, right. Yep. You know, there's, there's me, you know, uh, not a care in the world going out and partying. And uh, I'd come, I'd come to our hotel room and Pevs would be like, come on, toots, you need to calm down. I'm like, Hey buddy, it's okay. No worries. I got you. But I mean, the guy, the guy's been through through hell and back and everything that he's done old dicky will always be uh, one of my you know favorite line mates and uh, and you know just just a humbled human being right like 
Pavs was always a hardworking guy. He he accepted whatever role was given to him, and and he made players around him better. When you lose in six games to Hershey, does that stick with you at all? Is that something you think about, or have you moved on from that by now? Well, I mean, obviously you're you're playing for the Calder Cup, right? And, right, a championship, uh, no, yeah. No, no one ever remembers the second place team, right? And you know, unless the grind, you're that second place team, yeah, yeah. Unless you're that second place team, the grind that it takes to to get to that point, and uh, all the blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, you know, I, I think we. We we might have got a little cocky, you know, coming off uh, two two series of uh, winning four straight. Oh, and it was and it was uh, ten ten straight wins in the playoffs from game seven to game one of the of the final. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a bit of a I, I guess you know kind of made us double think, rethink our ourselves, and uh, you know didn't really experience a lot of uh, adversity throughout the playoffs, and. God, I, I mean, just didn't go our way, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you accept it, and it is what it is, right? You got to eventually move on in life, right? And, and ultimately, we didn't lose the series. Like, Hershey, was they, that was a good team that they had uh, that they put out against us, including Chris Beach, who we've always said on this, like on this podcast, <laughs> we've said about 50 times, he's the difference. If he doesn't get – he gets traded to Hershey, and now he's got a chip on his shoulder – and he was really good in that finals uh, uh, against us. Yes. Uh, he can play. He can play. So, but after that, you're a full-time NHLer. So that laid the groundwork pretty well for, for a really, really good career. Yes. And, and you know what? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of young kids don't realize that, you know, the path to being a full-time uh, – NHLers, you know, you you got to put your put put time into into playing in the minors, right? And that's where a lot of young hockey players carve out their their careers, right? And and looking back at it, you know, uh, you know, when I was in that moment, yeah, I might have been a little cocky and saying, well, you know, why am I getting sent down? I'm an NHL player, but ultimately, in in the big picture. It's, um, you know, give, giving me an opportunity to get more comfortable as a player, uh, you know, playing more minutes, playing bigger roles. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had that experience playing in the NHL at 21, 22, 23 years old. A guy, a guy on that Milwaukee team, 0506, who you went and played a lot of games with uh, in Nashville, certainly the best goalie in Nashville Predators history is Pekka Rinne. What do you remember about Pekka from his time in Milwaukee? And, and, and what, what did that guy, what did he mean to your career? Was he, did he have an impact on your career? Pex was the hardest working teammate, both on and off the ice. I mean, I remember in practice and, you know, whenever guys would score on him, he would get pissed he off. He was pissed, huh? Uh, you, you know, and off the ice, he, he trained and, you know, did all the little things and carried himself uh, with dignity. And, uh, and he was so humble, know, too. Humbled and, and self-respect for himself and, and for others. Uh, but Pex, 
you know, he's a beauty, right? Like, uh, I mean, the guy, unbelievable teammate, uh, you know, world-class goaltender and, and by far, you know, the best goalie in Predator history, right? And, you know, when I played with him in, in Milwaukee, he was a, a six-foot-six, 130-pound lanky goalie <laughs> who, who, could, who could barely lift his glove and blocker up, right? <laughs> but he, he earned it, right? He worked hard in the gym. And, uh, I mean, God, look at him now. The success of the guys from that team, and you think about it, 05, 06, and, again, there were guys that went back and forth, but Pekka and, and Shea Weber and Kevin Klein and Sheldon Brookbank went on to win a Stanley Cup, and yourself and Upshaw and Peverly. And it's really – Chris Derno got games in the NHL. It's, it's really amazing the amount of talent and the amount, uh, the amount of success that players on that team went on to have. Totally. And, and you know what, that, you know, Milwaukee Greg Zanin, was, excuse, excuse me, Greg, yeah, Zanin. Greg Zanin. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Big, big Z the, the loudest teammate ever, ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> How uh, is that room by the way, when you're playing, you're there and you're, you're not necessarily shy. Uh, you got Greg Zanin. There must've been just constant noise. Oh, it was, it was a, a riot to be in that dressing room. Right. Cause there was always <laughs> bickering going on and, uh, but you, you know, like I'm going to go back to, you know, when guys play in Milwaukee, I think they're the, the biggest thing is they Milwaukee is an unbelievable city to, to play in. Right. As far as, you know, you look at a lot of the, some of the AHL teams that are in, in these cities and uh, you know, not a lot going on, but Milwaukee, is is kind of a hidden gem and and when guys come there uh you know i i i love living in milwaukee i had a great time um the guys that came through the system uh you know once it, it just everyone bought in right like uh i mean every guy helped each other out to to try and get them to the next level and that's i think what really helped a lot of us you know get there uh, there's one more, not one more. We could go with Jordan Tutu memories. You, you no played kidding. here for two years. We could be do this for five hours. But no there was one time, team, you guys are an all-star break, and my phone rings. It's about 8 o'clock at night, and it's Darren Hadar. He says, Charlie, it's Darren Hadar here. I said, hey, what's up? He's like, Jordan lost it. Jordan went into the ocean with his wallet and his shorts, and he lost his passport. Ha, well, what can we do? <laughs> I was like, and we got to fly home, not the next day. Maybe it was the next day. I think it was later in the day, the next day. And I said, well, put him on the phone. Let's figure this out. So I got on the phone and he said, yeah, I don't even know what, how it happened. He's like, and he's like, here's the other challenge is that we've already, we, we already, Scott, you and Scotty, we'd lost our, the replacement key to our uh, uh, condo. So you got to get the, you got to talk the security guy into letting you into my condo. And I got it. And then you had a, uh, it must have been your driver's license that you lost because you had your passport. And I was able to, to FedEx it down to you. And then, but the, the, what got me though, what really made me laugh was like, oh yeah, when you get in there, if you want some caribou jerky, go right ahead. It's great. You got to try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's stories like those you share, Charlie, that, you know, 
brings me back to to the good old days right uh yeah we were we were down in fort lauderdale right uh i think there was like four or five of us down there and thank god uh hades was was there because he was kind of our our parent right yeah, yeah. Chaperone, yeah. And, Chaperone. Uh, and actually his his dad just told me that he was driving you guys down to the airport after a game and he was speeding he got pulled over uh going down to o'hare and he <laughs> By 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 the cop and anyways that's a yeah just yeah that's not even a question yeah. that's just a story. Hades, uh, you know, obviously unbelievable player, right? The guy had vision, anticipation, and uh, but you know he always he always cared about me. He looked after me off the ice, and uh, you know it's guys like those, you know, guys that you know I, I can't thank them enough for like helping me out personally right like you know getting me out of uh you know different situations and i mean let's let's be real here charlie you you got me you got me out on a lot of uh troubling times that could have been worse right a, a and, couple yeah there was a couple so I, I i gotta i gotta thank you for for that yeah it was I my remember, pleasure i remember real quick before before we wrap up um it was before you went to rehab you had made a video. Um, I think the Royal Air Force, uh, the Canadian Air Force, had flown in a bunch of kids from Northern Canada into Winnipeg uh, for a game, and it was uh, a rallying point and a and a, there's more to life kind of type of thing that the Moose were doing. And you sent a video, um, which was touching. And I know that you started your foundation probably right about the time you got sober, right? So yes. I guess all of this is a lead up to how is that going and what are you doing now uh, professionally? Uh, is it 100% devoted to your foundation? What are you doing? Yeah. So, you know, obviously throughout my life, I've experienced mental health um, issues, substance abuse. And, you know, when I entered rehab in 2010, I knew it was, uh, you know a gift of a lifetime that was offered to me by you know david Poyle, barry trotz uh, the nashville predator organization and uh you know nine years into my sobriety uh i i definitely wouldn't be where i am today uh, i can honestly say that i'm comfortable and content in my own skin and i'm able to uh to go to bed every night uh at ease and uh you know now in in retirement i'm able to uh i do a lot of public speaking uh in indigenous communities and sharing my story um traveling across canada uh and that's kind of my giving back only, is it only an indigenous indigenous communities or is it to a bunch of forgive the term to a bunch of white kids in in a toronto school in a, in a huge school district well you know my my background is is indigenous so i right. try and focus mainly on you know indigenous communities but right. you know i i do a lot of corporate events the reason uh, i ask the reason i ask is obviously we're going through a situation in this world right now with and and I don't know uh, if if that's part of your curriculum, let's say, to to explain your story and your lifestyle and your life to people who 
may not have any empathy for it or sympathy for it. It's people who can't can't understand can't because relate. they've never been yeah. around. Yeah, they've never been around that situation. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's about sharing my story and my my life experiences, right? Like I, I I'm a. I'm a kid from Nunavut and, you know, I've experienced quite a bit to be honest. And, but I wouldn't be able to share these experiences if I wasn't fixed myself, right. Huh. Both mentally and, and physically. And uh, I think the the biggest hurdle that a lot of us, a, lo- a lot of people face is racial systemic race racism, right? Like it's uh it's a generational problem that, you know, we just need to be, we just need to educate ourselves, right? It, it's not only us indigenous people going or, or black people going into uh, white communities and, and telling them their stories, you know, the, your average Canadian or average U S resident needs to accept and, and put themselves in that situation to right. really understand, right? Like right. it works right. both ways here. Yes. You know, and, and for me to to go out into into the public and, and share my my story, I'm I'm not I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. Uh, you know, when when people ask, you know, what do you do in this situation? Well, you know, I'll try and relate a a, a story that I have if I was in that situation and, and what I did, right? right? Because I I don't have the answers. Uh, I don't have all the answers. I, I'm, you know, just a uh, new kid from Rankin and Nunavut who, who is able to express and articulate my thoughts and put them to words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, it took me a lot of years to, to do that because it, I grew up in a house where we didn't talk about our feelings. We didn't, you know, you shut the door and you put up with it. Right. Right. Keep it you internal. Know? Keep it internal. Thank God you get that chance, right? Because we are, we all are a sum of our experiences. Oh, absolutely. And, and in, in order for, you know, each individual to, to open up and, and cause I could, uh, I could tell people, Oh, it's easy. You know, you just gotta open up and confront those fears. Well, you know, it's easy for me to say nine years into, into working on that. Right. Like right. It, it just doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's time one step at a time. And ah. your, yours is a different situation too. in the fact that you played 720 games in the NHL, you, you're, you're, you're at a different point in your, in, in everyday life than, than some people are, than most people are. Well, you know, ultimately it's, you know, we all, we all fight a fight. No one knows about 100%. Until, you know, you know, that individual is willing to, to accept help and to, you know, to maybe just sit there and listen, right? You know, to, it's, it's about letting yourself pry down yourself, ego, uh, and, and just really accepting to that's honesty to be, to be vulnerable, right? Yeah, like right yeah. For us men, being vulnerable is, is tough. Right. I grew up in a house where I didn't show weakness. I never surrendered. You never back down kind of attitude. And and when I learned to, to just be vulnerable, you know, things change. I'm interested. You, you, you've always lived a very, you know, you're very, you've always been outspoken and, uh, and passionate guy, but you go through, you go, you 
you enter rehab and you know it's you you've got to be radio silence you've got to you've got to commit to the process then you came out and now you're an advocate for indigenous people for mental health issues for uh, addiction you recovery you took on a role model you took on a role thing. model and and was that all, was that ever a choice for you did you ever think to myself i just when i go back i just want to play hockey i want to stop talking cuz it's really remarkable uh, at least in my opinion, that you have taken on these roles and you have been outspoken uh, as an advocate for- A real leader. For, yeah, yeah, but you didn't have to be. No one would have thought any differently if you hadn't done it, but you yeah. did. Why did you do it or was it never even a choice? Well, obviously everything is a choice, right? And I chose when I entered rehab that my main focus was to get back to- doing what I love most. And that was playing the playing game. Hockey. Yeah. Right. And so the first probably three, three to five years of my sobriety, uh, I focused on, on my game. Right. I was approached by a lot of, you know, outsiders Causes. from, from, uh, you know, recovery programs to addiction, uh, you know, committees and, and asking me to go and speak. And I, you know, as much as I, I would love, have loved to, you know, do a presentation, I was protecting myself because sure. I told myself, I said, Hey, if I ever fall off the wagon here, all that is washed out. Right. Right. So I want to make sure that I was comfortable with, with this new life that I'm living. And, you know, it was probably, you know, two or three years now that I'm really, you know, putting myself out there because I, I, I'm comfortable and content my own skin and in, in what I chose and, and the way that I live my life. But I, I mean, it was hard as hell guys. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. Absolutely. The first, first three years of sobriety, you know, being, a, you know, playing the game that you love most and part of playing the game is, you know, you're, you're in the public uh, socializing and part of that is drinking and, and all that's that. The culture. Right? So yes, was, absolutely. There, right. Yeah. There's a lot of new norms for me to, to be comfortable with. Right. And, and ultimately as I, I told my teammates, every team that I played on, you know, I would tell the guys right off the bat, look guys, just because I'm around, I don't want you guys to feel uncomfortable, right? right. If, if we're on the road, we go for, for dinner, have a beer. Just because I'm there, I don't want there to be any friction. And, and that let a lot of guard down, a lot of guards yeah. down, right? Because, hey, everyone's kind of walking on pins and needles whenever, you know, whenever I was around out in public. And there. But ultimately, as long as they respected me, I was good. And, and you know that's i think for me for a lot of men you know to feel love they demand respect right and for for women to feel respected they demand love right and so it just it's kind of backwards so you know as long as my teammates respected me nothing else mattered that was all right that's yeah. it well we can end it right there. Yeah. I like think it's a great way to end it. Yeah. Go on forever and ever and ever. But um, you really are uh, an inspiration. And as 
as uh, I, I only got to know you for a very short time, but uh, I'm thankful for those times. Uh, Charlie knows you obviously a lot better. The fans loved you here in Milwaukee. The fans loved you wherever you were. Uh, it is a treat to see you and to talk to you. And uh, we're very happy that things are going so well for you. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. We got to get you into Milwaukee. Like, uh, you know, we got to figure some, some way to do that here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, guys. Appreciate it. That's uh, the great Jordan 2, too. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admiral podcast.